and pray every morning to bring them to the throne of grace. And uh, because of his prayer life, it impacted in our family, in every one of us. By 5.30, we will be up on, uh, 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 he'll be up on his knees and he will sing a song and uh, have a family prayer. How many of you know this proverb? A family which prays together stays together. Because of the, the prayer life of my dad and mom, God began to bless every one of us. My mom, God gave uh, a promise from the book of Isaiah 54, verse 13. It says, all your children shall be taught in the knowledge of God. Your children's you know, peace will be great. You know, my mom took that promise and she was holding on to the promise. And even when we were sleeping, she would lay hands over every one of us and began to pray, Lord, we want every one of our child to be in your love, in your grace. Not one should go away from your fold. By the grace of God, God answered that prayer. You know, many times you may be wondering in your family, maybe you, your loved ones are not with you or not in, in the Lord. But claim this promise in your life this morning that God will honor his word. Can I hear a bigger amen? amen. You know, we live in such a multicultural uh, world. You know, like uh, sometimes when I just go to the, the airport in New York, I wonder whether this is in America because you have so many different colorful people come and go through the, the, the airport. But in India, like, you know, our Indian people, it's very difficult for them to uh, learn, especially the village people. You know, there was a one guy who came from India as a great singer. So he wanted to teach our Indian village people a, a chorus about holiness. He began to sing, holy, holy. And he said, come on, everybody repeat, holy. And none of them sang because they didn't know how to say holy. So one of the Indian guys said, hey, you like chicken? He said, yeah. Okay, in Indian, chicken means kori. So he just kind of made it colloquially and said, can you say Kohli? And everybody started Kohli. Kohli means they know it's chicken. So come and they said, well, I'm going to get you a chicken curry tomorrow if you sing properly. Come on, everybody say chicken. So everyone said Kohli. And the singer thought they were singing holy. <laughs> so because of the language, but anyway, whether it's Kohli or holy, our God is holy. You know, like... Uh, I want to just uh, take you to India for five minutes. And I want you to watch this video, please. Mission with a vision. India is a land of old culture and religion. KGF has a population of 300,000 people living totally depending on the gold mines. In 1954, 
Reverend Dr. Gideon Nicholson and his dear wife, Ida Nicholson, they felt the call of God for this town of Kola Goldfields. They came, they walked through this town showing the love of Jesus and pioneering the work of God in this city of orphanage so far more than 2500 children have gone through our home who have come from slums and literally on the streets after they've come to our home they have met Jesus they received love and care today they are happily settled and married to pastors and IT company officers thank you for your prayers children home in the city of Bangalore. Many of the children come from broken relationships with our parents, but today they have finished their degrees in commerce and working in banks and different companies. Some of them are happily married. supporting more than 60 widows a month on a regular basis. Most of these widows have children and family, but they do not care nor provide for them. We give them a small gift which they give to some families who will give them shelter and food. But they are faithful prayer warriors who come for the morning 6 a.m. prayer every day. This wonderful lady was 105 years old. She was a great backbone to the church. We are very happy to inform you that we have been conducting a Bible college ministry along with our church ministry. For the last 32 years, this ministry has been carried out for the glory of God. Many students are trained in the word and equipped to go forth and reach the masses with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Students have come from all over India and also from Malaysia, Singapore and also from Sri Lanka. Will you please pray that God will bless them and use them as an instrument to bring others into the kingdom of God. We are also running a tailoring school. These girls have come from gold mining employees' family. The gold mines which was the main source of income for this town has been shut off since 14 years. So all their parents have lost their job. So we are picking up these young girls who have no job, but give them a training and enable them to learn some kind of trade in their hand so that they can earn a livelihood. So far we have trained over 800 ladies to be trained and they're working in different government companies. Yes, Lord. I see how so look at the one more time. Come on. Younger. 
This is part of our Philadelphia Church choir worshiping the Lord. We don't have such a big choir like you have, but every one of them here are anointed. And this is part of our worship service on a regular basis. And this is on a watch night service. The people are really hungry for God. This is the man of God whom you see now. That's my wife, Pastor Beula Nicholson. This is just a very old picture, a part of the church group. You see a young girl on the left side, her name is Rocky, and she came when she was about six years old. This is one of our branch church that we built and this is a completed church, what you see. So that's a little bit about India. <laughs> I'm not very good in guitar, you, you, you folks play really good. I have learned to play piano accordion, but I was looking for one if I could uh, borrow from someone here, but uh, maybe next time, in God's time. <laughs> I would like to sing a song in Indian, and this song actually was translated and uh, kind of refined by my brother-in-law who lives in Madras. Him and his wife, they were involved in the ministry with the uh, orphanage for many years. So they went to up northeast to the country of Nepal. And some of these poor Nepali people were sitting in a little church. They were singing the song in their Nepali language. And you're the master of all creation. You're a protector. You're a preserver. You're almighty God. So he interpreted and translated that song into Tamil. And he brought that song to one of the Levites' camp in Palium Kotai. That's where he released the song. And today it has gone into all over the world in many different languages. And the, the meaning is like, uh, you're the master of all creation. I'm 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, no matter we come from different parts of the world, you love us the same, just the way we are. This morning, we just come to your throne of grace, Lord. Lord, we need your touch today. We need your love. We need your affection this morning. Lord, you're the only God who answers us. You're the only God who can touch us. You're the only God who feels all our emotions in our life. We commit our lives to you this morning. We give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 I bring greetings from my only wife and 32 children. And out of that, two are my own. And 30 of them are adopted to be my children. So I love and I stay with the orphan children on a big campus. And every morning by 5.30, all these children just call upon the name of the Lord. As Pastor was, amen. As Pastor was mentioning, many of these kids come from Hindu background. We have some Muslim kids as well. And by 5.30, just rise up, even from age 7 to 21, they sing love song to Jesus early in the morning. And uh, because of that impact on their lives, when they go back to their relatives, back to their home, they tell their family members, Mom, Uncle, Auntie, these are not the real God. We have found the true God, Jesus. He is the only Savior. Many times you have no idea what has been done for those little children can impact in their lives, in their world. The one girl, she came, her, she lost her father when she was just about two years old. Her mother was working as a servant in many houses, go and do some cleanup job. And they came to us and said, we'd love to just leave this girl because we, I can't handle her, I can't take care of her anymore. So we took her in, her name is Nancy. She grew up, I finished her high school final, and she was a smart girl, she was pretty good, and she did very good in her high school final. So we sent her for a higher training. We have a training school in Madras. So there she underwent a computer training, and a boutique, and different kinds of uh, embroidery. And uh, she was offered a job uh, at the front desk in a hotel, in a five-star hotel. And as she was working there, they were not paying very good salary, but she was working. But because she had Jesus, she had a Pentecostal smile. Every time she would sit there and then invite someone, whoever comes in, she'll give a real good smile, not to attract them, but the real love of Jesus. And then they were really attracted to God, to her especially, wondering she had something to give to them. So there was one guy, she didn't know who he was. He said, hey, who are you? So uh, what's your background? Where are you coming from? The girl smilingly said, I was raised in a Mariah home. She didn't say orphan home, Mariah home. I have my spiritual mom and dad in Kola Goldfields. They brought me up and today I got this job. And he was very impressed with her. 
She was a very good-looking, tall, beautiful girl. He gave his card and told her, why didn't you come up and see me at my office? So after a few days, she took her mother, the only mother who she had as her, uh, you know, like her uh, own being. So she took her mother to see this man. And little did she realize he was a director of a big IT company. And he interviewed her and said, you know what? I want to give you a, a better job than what you're doing in the hotel. And he said that I have already appointed you to work in this IT company as a supervisor. And, I, and she was paid very highly. Not only that, in few days, he even wanted her to be his daughter-in-law. And he got married to one of his sons. Today, she is happily settled with a baby girl in that higher place. The Bible says, when we lift Jesus higher, he puts you and me to a higher level. An upgrade. <laughs> Amen. How many of you like upgrade when you fly on the plane? Many of you do, but the trouble is we don't get it. <laughs> it happened once to me when I was going to Singapore. I was going for ministry, not for sightseeing. And I was in the, at the airport in Madras, and I was waiting for my plane to board. And as usual, I had my economy, uh, uh, you know, like a boarding pass on me. And uh, as I was walking by, I saw the first class counter there. And uh, something prompted in me, why not I give a try and ask for an upgrade to business class? But I had a economy boarding pass. So I took my economy boarding pass and gave it to the guy at the counter and I told him, sir, is there any way you can upgrade my, uh, you know, my ticket? He took my ticket, <laughs> he kind of laughed at me, not openly, but you know. Then uh, he said, uh, uh, Mr. Nicholson, I'm sorry, I can't do it because yours is an economy ticket. I was a little embarrassed, but you know, well, I didn't mind. I said, okay, I gave a try, so I went away. And the time came, they called for our flight to board, and uh, I boarded the plane, mine was 65D or something, the last seat in the row. And as I was sitting there, after a few minutes, here came a Singapore girl walking with her boarding pass and said, excuse me, sir, that's my seat. When I checked, mine was 65D, and she showed her boarding pass. It was also 65D. Sometimes computers go wrong. Then I said, no, it's my seat. She said, no, it's my seat. So I didn't want to argue with the lady. I let her go. I said, okay, you be seated. And I was trying to see anything behind. It was only toilets. I don't want to sit in the toilet all the way. So I just was standing in the aisle, and the lady stewardess came. I said, lady, I don't know. Mine is 65D, but this lady claims hers is 65D. And she said, give me a boarding pass. Let me have a look. She took it back. And as she was walking, I hinted to her, I don't mind going to a business class. <laughs> I don't know whether she heard me or not. But you know, as I was standing there, I was standing for 15 minutes. I didn't know what to do. As I was standing there, 
here came the man who was laughing at me at the first class counter. And he came and said, Mr. Nicholson, I have upgraded you to the business class to 7D. Bible says, you have not received because you have not asked for it. Bible says all the promises in the word of God written are a and amen. Can I hear an amen? As you say amen to the promises of God, you own it. You become the owner of God's promises. When I was walking from that economy to my business class, I walked like a king. Why? Because I knew that there is something different in upgrade. So when I went and sat, right, as soon as I sat, the lady, the Singapore stewardess came with champagne and red wine and white wine and juice and said, what can I offer you, sir? I was a true Christian there. So I didn't go for champagne or any other drink. I said, that orange juice will do. But as I was going by, they had about four menus that I could have chosen from. But halfway after the dinner, she said, is there anything I can offer you, sir? I love strawberries. So I told her, how about some strawberries? Oh, the strawberries are only for first class, sir, but let me give a try. She went and brought a big basket of juicy strawberries. You didn't say amen, only brother will get it. <laughs> and she brought those strawberries. Then I said, how about some fresh cream, please? And she said, okay, let me give it a try. She got a big bowl of fresh cream. And man, I sat there like a king. And ate my strawberries dipping in the cream. Why? Because I asked for it. Bible says, when you ask, you receive it. When you say, Lord, I need this, but do it according to the will of God. So I didn't go anything beyond the will of God. I just said, Lord, I need an upgrade. This morning, when you ask God for an upgrade, he's going to give you one. Not just on a flight. Throughout your life, God's going to give you an upgrade. I want to share with you in the life of David this morning, the word of God says, and Samuel called him that he is a man after God's own heart. It's written in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. And it says, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. They were, he was talking to Saul. The Lord had sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which was Lord commanded thee. Here we come across in the life of uh, Saul, he never obeyed God's word to destroy the Amalekites who were the enemies of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1 to 8, if you go home and read it, the Word of God says that God commanded through Samuel to give the word of prophecy to Saul, that he would go and destroy all the Amalekites. 
and destroy them totally, completely to be destroyed because they were the enemies of Israel. But the Bible says that Saul, he spared the king of Amalek, whose name was Agag, and all the, uh, the uh, fat animals for his own. But even though he claimed it on saying this is for God's sacrifice. But because of that mistake Saul did, the same Agag's family, Haman, in the kingdom of Esther, he came to destroy all the people of Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 to 8, if you go home and read it, the Bible says that Saul, who was shot by the enemies, by arrows, and he didn't die. He was really about to die. And he couldn't bear the pain. He took a sword and started committing suicide. And he didn't die. And when his life was in agony, he turned around, he saw a man walking by, he said, Who are you? He said, I am an Amalekite. He said, never mind, come and take your knife and kill me. The Bible says that this man, he killed the anointed Saul. What you don't destroy when you're strong, when you're weak, the same thing will come and destroy you. This morning, God wants you to know that when Saul failed to do the will of God, God chose a man after his own heart. That was David. Why did God choose David? Even though he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, he was not doing everything right. When all the people went to, to fight against the enemy, he was walking up on the terrace, looking around. He was the king. He should have been in the, in the fight. But he was just walking over up from the terrace. That's where he saw a beautiful girl taking a shower in the public because she was a poor girl. She didn't have any place to have a shower. And you know the story. But Sheba, he just fell in sin with her. And he committed adultery. Even though he did that, in Psalm 51, amidst all the musicians, he told them to sing all his sins as a song before God in commitment to give his life to God. Can you imagine somebody takes a guitar and sing all your sins you have committed in the last two years? <laughs> it won't be nice to hear that. <laughs> you know, but that's what David did. In Psalm 51, he told the musicians to sing with him. As they were singing, he was putting, someone said, he was hitting his heart like this. And he was saying, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against God. He was a man who was ready to commit his life before God. That's why God called him a man after his own heart. You know, in the life of uh, David, he was a worshiper. He loved to worship. I think he knew more than harp, many instruments that he could sing. I have a reference. Like uh, he was a musician. He was a worshiper. I thank God for this choir and the musicians. Shall we give them a good clap for the worship that led us? There is power in worship. 
There is power in praises. You know, you heard about Saddam Hussein, how he invaded Kuwait many years ago. You know, he took Kuwait and captured the whole nation. The whole world was shaken. They wonder, why would he take Kuwait? Because Kuwait has got lots of oil resources. So he wanted to take all the riches of that nation. But at that time, America went to fight and to rescue Kuwait from the hands of Saddam Hussein. Can I hear amen? So what happened was, when Saddam Hussein saw that America has taken all its troops and based in Saudi Arabia and also in Israel, and they were ready to attack Iraq anytime. So when he knew that the, the America is gonna support Kuwait, he was sending Scud missiles from Iraq to hit Israel. Not America, he has no power to hit America, but he was trying to hit Israel. So every time the Scud missiles will go up in the air, it will go almost three miles up in the air, and it will be guided in the mid-air. Nobody knows it's flying up in the air. It will go and attack the target and bring devastation, bring destruction in that area. That's the power of the Scud missiles. But I thank God for America, who had based all their anti-missile, uh, I don't know what they call them, those big machines in Israel. So every time Saddam Hussein sent four Scud missiles up in the air, nobody knows in the world what's happening up in the sky. It comes four of those destruction of uh, those warheads to come and destroy. But as soon as it is in the mid-air, that Israel, the American anti-Scud missile radars can track there are four Scud missiles coming in the mid-air. It will send four anti-Scud missiles. These anti-Scud missiles also go up in the air and go in the mid-air. And in the mid-air, they destroy the enemy's Scud missiles. Many times we are happy on Sunday morning. Wonderful Sunday evening, good time. But Monday, when something hits us, we are depressed. We are kind of say, oh, I don't love to live in this world. I don't want to live in this world anymore. Because the enemy has already hit you with the scud missiles. And you go deep down like a submarine underwater of depression. But I thank God for those anti-scud missiles. Where are they? As you begin to lift your hands and worship the Lord. You say, my Redeemer liveth. I know my Redeemer is still alive. Lord, I thank you that I'm going to praise you no matter what is around me. Without your knowledge, by your praises, you're releasing those anti-scud missiles out. You don't have to understand everything. I was flying when I was coming to uh, John F. Kennedy Airport. I came on an Emirates flights, uh, flight, which is uh, called Airbus 380, which has got almost like 650 or 600 seats on plane. 
It's a double-decker plane. On the ground floor, all economy, and upstairs they have half first class and half business class. I haven't prayed for an upgrade yet on that plane. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to pilot a plane. But I came safely and landed here. Why? Because I know those pilots knew what they were doing. So for four, 13 hours, the plane was flying 40,000 feet high, and I was safe because I trusted God and I trusted those pilots. So you don't have to understand how these cut missiles are going out of your heart, but you have to only praise him. You have to only lift your hands and say, Lord, I thank you this morning for who you are. That when the enemy is trying to attack you, already the scud missiles have gone out. And the enemy dummy don't understand. I have sent five arrows to hit this brother. I have sent five arrows to hit, hit this sister. But nothing is happening. Why? Because the dummy doesn't know that there is power in praises. You know, my mom and dad, they taught us how to be obedient. You know, my dad, is a, as I said, he's a man of prayer. Every year, at least once or twice a year, he will gather about 30 people from our church. He will go to a town, a little town about 70 kilometers from our place, and he will go cycling, my dad, for 70 kilometers by cycle. And along with them, about 10 or 15 of the men would take their bicycles. They're not as good as your bicycles. I saw Pastor Blake has got a beautiful bike in his office. I don't know what that bike is doing at the office. <laughs> but I think he, when he gets tired of people, he goes cycling maybe. <laughs> but you know, our Indian cycles are just ordinary. It's not very good. But my, brother, my dad has got a very nice uh, Swedish-made bicycle. And uh, it, it has, when you just put the pedal backwards, and it, it, it's a brakes. And uh, it, we don't have any brakes there. So one guy came from another city to my town. That was a young boy at that time. He said, can I borrow your bicycle? And I, I told him, listen, this is a little different bicycle. Can I explain how the brakes work? He said, no, it's all in here. So I let him go. So there was a little down. The little down there, and uh, he went and he was trying to hold the brake. There was no brakes there. So he fell flat on the ground. When he got up, I said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my dad uh, used to take 15 people on the bikes, and he would go to the village. He will stay in that village and pray the whole day. And early morning, 5.30, they'll go on their bikes to a village nearby and preach the gospel. And they will preach the gospel, and they will uh, uh, tell them, tonight we have a healing crusade. You know, in our dad's ministry, God has raised a dead baby alive. Maybe if there's time, I can share tonight how God raised a dead baby back to life. And born blind people have been healed. A man with no, uh, those black pupa in his eye, after prayer, right in front of our eyes, the black spot was created. And he could see through. He was a beggar man. He was begging in the villages. And there was a young boy who would always lead him from one village to the other. But when he came 
in the evening, 5 o'clock for 6.30 meeting. And uh, during that time, God healed this man. And the boy went to sleep because it was almost 9 o'clock, the meeting was over. And the blind man, when he got healed, he woke that boy. And the blind man who got the eyes back, he led the boy back to the village. So when the whole people saw that this man was leading the boy back to the village, they got astonished. And over three to four ox cart, a load of people came to hear the Jesus in that village. Why did God call David to be a man after his own heart? Because in Psalm 34, verse 3, it says, David is saying, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. The King David always magnified the Lord. How many of you are here to magnify the Lord with me? What is the meaning of magnify? That is to glorify. To glorify the name of the Lord. That's one meaning. The other meaning is to really magnify. You know, in those days, you know, we didn't have these electronic digital watches. So we had those uh, mechanical winding watches, right? So if anything goes wrong, we take it to a, a watch mechanic. And uh, when you give it to me, turn the watch and uh, open it. And he puts a funny lens to his eye. Have you ever noticed that? You know, he puts a little lens, and he looks awful when you look at him. But what he does is, he puts over your watch, and he magnifies the problem. And when he magnifies the problem, he exactly knows the spring has gone wrong, or the screws have come off. So he knows when he magnifies the problem, he sets that. But David is saying to you this morning, you magnify God bigger with me. God wants you to know when the surrounding problems around you are bigger, but God wants you not to make and blow up your problems bigger, but to make God bigger. When you make God bigger in your life this morning, what will happen? You know, like when Saul heard the challenge of David, Somebody took David to Saul. He said, he said, my son, you're too young to play, fight this great Goliath. Mind you, Goliath was about nine foot six inches tall. A pastor is six four, I think. And uh, if nine foot tall inches man walks in, without him asking for a respect, you will all stand and honor him. <laughs> because of his height. Because he is like a monster. Cookie monster. <laughs> so when Saul looked at Goliath, he was nine foot six inches. He said, he's so big, I can't fight him. But David, an anointed man of God, when he looked at Goliath so big, he said, he's so big, I won't miss him. <laughs> That's an anointed man who can challenge. Because he's so big, he can throw a stone, he'll definitely fall on him. But this morning, God wants you to know that when you magnify God bigger, and he will do a miracle in our lives. So that's why God really liked David to be a man after his own heart, because he did not magnify the problem, 
but he magnified God bigger than the problem. He magnified God so bigger, when he looked at Goliath, he almost looked him down as if he was nowhere to be seen. But this morning, I want you to know that God wants you to think bigger in your life. So when Saul called on David, he said, try my helmet, try my shield, try my sword in your hand, put on my shoes. Have you ever had an experience of a little girl? Sometimes she will go on Papa's shoes, the big shoes, and she'll try to walk with the, with the big shoes on. And David felt the same. With Saul, he's such a big man. He was the tallest in the whole of Israel. When he put on those shoes and the helmet, he said, I haven't proved this, this armor. It's better to have a proved weapon in the anointed man's hand than to have an unproved weapon in a worldly man's hand. This morning, David is saying that I have no habituation of this armor to wear. I don't know how to walk with these weapons. He took it off and said, the sling and the staff is more than enough for me. But the same David, when it came, when came to the time that, uh, you know, like Jonathan, like he was his great buddy, he was the son of uh, Saul. So Jonathan, he told him, hey, I want to just make a covenant with you. And he made a covenant with, uh, with Jonathan. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3 and 4, Jonathan gave away his helmet. He gave away his shield. He gave away his sword. He gave away his uh, boot and everything to David. But he accepted from Jonathan. But from Saul, he said, I have not proved that. But now with Jonathan, he took all the armor of Jonathan and he accepted. Maybe that wasn't God's plan. What he said, I haven't proved. But now he took from Jonathan's hand. Because of him accepting the weapon which God never had intention for him to have, he had, David had to face many battles unnecessarily because he was going off from the plan of God. This morning, God has given you the word of God as the greatest weapon in your hand. Amen. Hallelujah! Our people are very poor people in our uh, city. We had a gold mine which has been shut off since 14 years today. 85% of our church believers, we have about 900 people in our church, and 85% of them are coming from the gold mines. Many of them have no job. Many of those guys who are earning about 18,000, 20,000 rupees Indian money have no job today. <clears throat> Some of them are working as a night watchman for 5,000 rupees. 5,000 rupees is less than $100 a month. And they don't know how to run their family. But when it comes to go to the house of God, they don't care whether they had a breakfast. They don't care whether they, had, they have lunch for the noon. The whole church comes to worship the Lord. You saw the people worshiping. 
on those uh, <coughs> video or PowerPoint. <coughs> Excuse me. They don't worry about what they have needs. They worry about God who is able to meet all their needs. At the end, you saw a little girl and also a married uh, couple there. She came to us. Her name was Rocky. She came to us when she was six years old. She lost her mom and dad. She had only one sister. She doesn't serve the Lord. And uh, she grew up literally in our home. And when the time came that one of the families, they saw her in, in our church and said, we like that girl. She has some special anointing upon her life. We want to take that girl for my son. So they came up to our home. You know, in India, it's not like you fall in love somewhere at your school or at your bus station or your swimming pool, and then you marry them. Because love is blind in America. I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, that's your culture. I don't want to change your culture in India. Like, it's very different. So when I was at the Bible school in Canada, uh, one girl came up after me. She was after me for a few days. And I don't know what attracted her in me. Not my face. It must have been my aftershave lotion. <laughs> she came up to me and said, God showed you in my dream. You are my man. I thank God God didn't show her in my dream. Not that she wasn't beautiful, she was a beautiful cracker. But the thing is, I waited for God's timing. I waited for God to bring the right person in my life. Things what look attractive outside, you don't know what is inside. There's a little boy in, in the streets of New York. He was watching the fellow who was uh, selling the helium balloons. You have seen those helium balloons? You know, they just have uh, their fly in the air. And he has tied all those balloons. He was selling in one of the street corner. And nobody was buying uh, the balloon. He pulled out one red balloon, let it fly. The little black boy looked at it and he was fascinated by the balloon flying in the sky. He came up to the balloon seller and said, Sir, you let go of that red balloon to fly, but you also have a black balloon. Suppose if you let it go, will it fly? Why did he say that? He was like me, black. He thought the black balloon won't fly. And the man pulled out the black balloon and gave it to the boy and said, My son, it is not what is outside makes the balloon to fly, but what is inside of the balloon makes it to fly. <laughs> this morning the Lord is saying, Greater is he that is in you, is than in the world the devil. Today, when you acknowledge and say, I have a great God. He's a great God who created the universe. And he's also mindful of my minute things in my life. When you let God know all about your life, and he's ready to do a miracle today. You know, in Psalm 139, and I think verse 22 and 23, when you go home and read it, David said, search my heart, O Lord. And know my thought. Two areas David opened before God. Search my heart, O Lord, and know my thoughts. Heart and your thoughts are vulnerable, vulnerable for the enemy to attack. You're happy on Sunday morning, 
But all of a sudden, something hits you, and you're gone down. Why? The enemy has already sent those scud missiles to attack you. But when David had magnified God bigger, he also was a transparent man before God. Amen? That's why he was singing the Psalm 51 publicly, all his sins before God. This morning, if God wants to do something special in your life, God wants you to be in your life more transparent. God wants to keep your heart open before God. When you keep your heart open before God, God is ready to do a miracle. How many of you know that God is ready to do miracle once we are ready to acknowledge Him? Amen. Me and my brother, we, we, we are pastors. But something got into argument with me and my brother, my oldest brother. And he argued and said something which he, I didn't like it. I knew he didn't say it right, but I didn't like the way he did it. So day by day, some kind of bitterness started developing between me and my brother. But I tried to keep my heart kind of clean or pure. And the uh, next day we came, we sat at the breakfast table, and he was across my table. I said, good morning. He didn't say good morning to me. And I, I said, Lord, I tried to be clean and nice, and I told him good morning, but he's not ready to say good morning to me. And after a week, I met him at the marketplace, supermarket. I looked at him coming straight at me. I said, hey, brother, he walked the other direction. <laughs> I said, Lord, I want to be clean. I want to be good to him. But see, he's not uh, very, very uh, open to me. Lord, somehow you have to speak to him. It went on for a few months. And I couldn't take it anymore because, mind you, we were pastors standing at the pulpit and saying, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Jesus gives you freedom. But I didn't have freedom myself. We had that bitterness. Have you seen a scorpion? I think I went to Brother Don's house yesterday. He invited me for a lovely dinner. Thank you, Angela Don, for the lovely dinner. That is a real American dish they made. And then at the end of the uh, conversation. He said, we also have some scorpions and uh, spiders uh, around this area. So I had to shake my shoes four times to make sure there was no spider in my shoes. <laughs> so that was the way. I'm sure some of you have seen the scorpion. Have you seen a scorpion? Okay. It has got two hands in the front and a big sting at the back. So I was like a scorpion Praising the Lord. Good morning, brother. How are you? But from back came the sting. <laughs> I prayed to God and said, Lord, you have to speak to my brother somehow. Because I don't want to put up with this bitterness anymore. And God spoke to me. God told me, you are the problem. The Lord, wrong number. God's computer never goes wrong. Can I hear an amen? amen? God said, he's not the problem. You're the problem. I knelt down, broke down, began to cry. I said, Lord, I have been bitter against my brother for the whole six months. Would you please forgive me? I've been carrying this bitterness for long. 
I don't want to have this anymore, Lord. Would you just forgive me, Lord? I cried before God. Ask the Lord to forgive me. The moment I asked the Lord to forgive, a great burden rolled away from my heart. I felt the peace of God, the joy of God. Mind you, I'm also the president of a Bible college. The next day was our graduation. So I was a little shy to ask forgiveness to my brother directly. So I wrote him a love letter. So I wrote him a real love letter. In the letter I mentioned, my beloved brother, I'm so sorry. I was the problem all these six months. I kept the bitterness. Would you please forgive me? If you say that you have really forgiven me, tomorrow is our graduation. I want you and your wife and your two kids to come for a graduation to show that you have totally forgiven me. The next day with all this colorful uh, gown, I like pastor's outfit. He looks very handsome with that uh, outfit, doesn't he? <laughs> so I had that uh, colorful gown on me and uh, I was uh, walking with all the uh, VIPs and chief guests and so on. But all the time I was looking at the door whether my brother's going to come. 4.30 was her graduation. And 4.30 went by. 4.45. Yeah, all the conversations were not important for me. I want to see whether my brother has forgiven me. Five o'clock passed. He came on Indian time. <laughs> Him and his wife and his two kids. When they came off their minibus, I ran with my gown. I ran to my brother and said, Brother! I hugged him and said, Would you please forgive me? I was the problem. He began to cry. He said, It wasn't you, my brother. I was the problem. <laughs> so both of us blamed the devil and said, Devil was the problem. <laughs> we hugged each other. And I took him to the platform. That was one of the best graduation I ever had. In two months' time, he died and went to be with the Lord. Can you imagine, had I not asked forgiveness, I would have been carrying that bitterness throughout eternity. Shall we stand? God wants to let you know, He wants you to be a man, a woman, after God's own heart this morning. But how will you be a person after God's own heart. I request musicians to come forward. The only way is to keep our heart open before him.